Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's the Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. It is the second Tuesday at the 2019 U.S. Open. We have made the turn. Now the locker rooms are thinning out. The practice sports are too. We are in the quarterfinal round. It's Tuesday morning. And to sum up the tournament so far and also spin this forward, I'm joined by Jamie Lasanti, and we're going to talk a little tennis for the next half hour or so. Sounds good. How are you doing, John? Good. How are you? Good. We've got uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We've like you said, we've had a pretty exciting first week. I think on the court, off the court, there's been a lot of good things happening, a lot of interesting things happening, some some true surprises. And now we've made that turn. It, it's funny these majors all have different rhythms, but ultimately they're the same, which is the week one story that it's chaos. There are multiple matches going on at once. You're chasing people down. There are press conferences going on while great matches are playing out. You're just trying to keep up. And then once that middle weekend passes, it's a much different kind of sporting event. And now you're at a place where the matches have great import. There's obviously a lot of points and money and opportunity on the line, but the rhythms really change. So now, now we've sort of made that turn, and we can look back at week one, and we had a lot of storylines, like you say. I, I would say, I mean, it's probably some recency effect here, but just from the teenagers to Medvedev to the – possibility of Roger Rafa, I would say this uh, week so far owes us nothing in terms of storylines. It's been uh, it's been a very active, exciting, fun tournament so far. I totally agree. And we find ourselves, as you said, here on this Tuesday after Labor Day. And somehow we're at eight players on each side. And as you say, it's a little bit quieter, a little bit smaller. But you go down the line on the women's side, and this is the most interesting thing to me, you have uh, next to all the names, you have 13, 23, 15, 25, 5, 16, 8, and 18. 
I don't see uh, too many single digits there. And uh, even so, I think some of the names, um, you know, in, in the top 10 or close to there are, are actually pretty surprising. Uh, who would you say on, on the women's side, who's your, uh, who are you most surprised about that's still standing here? Oh, man. I mean, I think um, I think you sort of nailed the storyline, which is we, we knew going in, it's a, a talking point at every major. These fields are wide open, and any of, you know, three dozen players can win, and that's what essentially what we're looking at here. Um, I mean, it's worth pointing out that one of those high seeds you've mentioned is number eight, Serena Williams. And if you had told Serena Williams, hey, listen, Serena, by the second Tuesday of the U.S. Open, only one other top 10 seeds are going to remain, and that's Alina Svitolina. And Holop's not going to be here, and Naomi Osaka, who beat you last year, is not going to be here, and Simona Holop, who beat you in the Wimbledon final two months ago, she's not going to be here either. This has been a great first four rounds for, uh, for Serena Williams. And we've, we've already set a record. We now are up to, you know, this is three straight years now where you're going to have four different winners at the majors, we've set a record now that we are now up to 13 majors where the player who won was not able to defend her title. That happened when Osaka went out. And uh, one thing I was I was struck by, Jamie, is when Osaka played Belinda Bencic, you know, you've got the number one player in the world. She's the defending champion, Naomi Osaka. And that was absolutely a 50-50 match in the eyes of, of most of the people that observed this sport closely. I mean, it was no upset right. at all when Bencic one in straight sets and you know at, at some level it would be great if you had towering champions in addition to Serena it would be great if you had reliable rivalries you know we were, we were looking up uh Federer Vavrinka which is not even a, a big three rivalry but you know th- those guys have played each other I think it's 23 and three Rogers records they, they played each other 26 times you don't have that right on the women's side but you know I, I think the the big storyline for the women is just to me is <laughs> Serena Williams is three matches away from this goal that she has set for years and years and years of tying Margaret Court, winning her 24th major. It would be great if she could do it. It would be great if she could do it here. It would be great if she could do it here a year after the the catastrophe of last year's women's final. And boy, has the draw opened. If if she doesn't do it, I hate to even go here. If she doesn't do it, this will be a a sort of colossal missed opportunity because we, we said before the tournament, a lot had to go right for Serena to get back on the board and boy uh through eight nine days a lot has gone right right but I mean we look back to Wimbledon and I think we were saying the same thing that boy you know not not that there was that the draw opened up but wow Serena really does have a chance here she's at Wimbledon you know she's won here more than any any other place and look what happened so I think uh, as you say you know you hate to say it but I think we still have a long way before we can keep talking about uh, you know Serena reaching that milestone for me on the opposite end of the draw the most intriguing match that I can't wait to watch is Belinda Benches versus Donna Vekic I think that those two players um, you know uh, uh, first of all, Benches, as you say, uh, definitely a top 10 player, if not better. And she has proven time and time again that against those top players, be it a one seed, a two seed, um, she can she can step up and she can play and, and she has the tools. And for her to come back from injury and to be at this point uh, in the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open uh, is really great. And Donna Benches, who, you know, with her new coach has just been really playing well and she's, she seems fit and, and uh, healthy. And 
Uh, it's going to be a good match. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Tor- Torben Delft is her new coach, and it's it's. Um, I, I think you're right. I mean, they're players that are actually fairly similar. They both had these great junior careers. They were both these teenage phenoms. Belinda Bencic got to the quarterfinals here, and it was her best showing in a major, and that was six years ago. I can't believe and now, that. <laughs> here she is. Yeah, she was a, she was a teenager then, and here she is in 2019, and she's only 22. She said. I don't know if you caught this. She said yesterday, I, I've been around so long and I've been hurt so much. It just seems like I'm older. But she only turned 22 in March. So neither of them, uh, Vekic and Benches, has been to a Grand Slam semi before. Big, big opportunity for, for both of them. But, uh, again, we were talking about it on, on Tennis Channel today. We said, who, who's in Serena's way right now? And you could say, you could look at the draw, and then Svitolina's the highest seed remaining. And Svitolina actually beats Serena the last time they played, though that was already three years ago at the Rio game, the, to me the big wild card on the women's side is Andrescu. And right. we have spoken about her all summer. She had never played this event before. This is her first U.S. Open. And at some point you would think the occasion might get to her. But uh, so far she's picked up where she left off in, in Canada. And she has had some injuries. She, but she hasn't lost a match get this, Jamie. She hasn't lost a match outright. So she had a, a defeat where she didn't play. She, she withdrew from the tournament. She had another where she retired in the middle of the match. She hasn't lost outright. Gone to the net, you know, after losing the final point of the match. She hasn't lost outright since March 1st. So this is a colossal winning streak she is on. And I think if she comes out to that final and just sort of says, what do I have to lose? I'm 19 years old. Let's just start smoking the ball. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the player on the other side of the net, presumably Serena, contends with that. For sure. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And now we talk about Benchage. So we have the Swiss on the one side, and then you go to the other side of the draw, and not the uh, Swiss player we're used to talking about, but uh, Stan Varinka also took down the defending champion, or, you know, I guess defeated him, uh, you know, by retirement. But. Uh, what did what what did you gather um, after the match from from being there um, about Djokovic and his retirement and um, you know now Varinka possibly um, having to face uh, Federer in in the semifinals? Yeah, I, you know I hadn't thought about it until you said it to be honest. But uh, both number one seeds toppled by uh, Swiss players: Bentic beating Naomi and then Stan beating. Djokovic, and it was the same kind of thing where, on paper, really not that – I mean, I, I think people were picking Djokovic to win that match, but I don't think that was a particularly large upset, I think, especially given Djokovic's shoulder problems, but also given the way Wawrinka has played against Djokovic in majors in the last five years. He's got his number in these best-of-five matches. And I, I noticed, uh, you know, we, we all sort of did it. How do, you, how do you characterize that loss for Djokovic since he did technically retire? But for the first two sets, Stan took the match to him, and I think you got to give Fabrinka an awful lot of credit. I mean, I think the one question is how will Stan do, presumably, presuming he gets by Medvedev, um, 
who he's played today, how will Stan do against Roger? Right. And their relationship is very contoured. The head-to-head wildly favors Roger. Um, Stan's beaten him three times only, and all three of those have come on clay. So he's not beaten Roger Federer in a hardcore tennis match. I think the conditions favor Stan. I think that's something he's got going in his favor. But um, the, the good news for Stan is that he got past Djokovic, and really I think this is a signature win after he returned from those knee surgeries. The bad news is that Roger and all that comes with it is presumably his semifinal opponent, uh, provided both get there. But I, I mean, I don't know where from where you sit. I mean, it's, I, I always like getting your perspective, just because you know you're, you're here, you're on site, and people process these events differently. If someone asked me so far what I think the biggest story of this tournament is, I suppose my answer, in addition to the top seeds losing. Um, so early, I guess, I guess my answer would probably be just that we have this prospect of a nadal Federer final, which we've never had here. How how do you take that in, and what what do you see? I'm, I'm curious, Jamie, what, what do you see as uh, if you were going to sort of encapsulate this story in a bullet point or two so far? What, what would your uh, points on the tournament be? I think one of the biggest things really coming out of that first week was the Naomi Osaka Coco Golf moment. Um, I think right. that – started you know with you had Kobe and Kaepernick you know there with with Osaka and just there's so many um things about uh surrounding Nomi Osaka and then surrounding Coco Goff as well that brought it past the tennis world and into that mainstream sports world which for me when I look back or I'm in the office or I'm you know just kind of with family members or friends who maybe don't follow tennis as closely those are the things that they come up to me and and mention and then that's when I sort of realized well maybe this is what's sort of bleeding through so I think that moment um really really got through to people and um was something interesting to come out of it but then you know as you say Federer and Nadal always going to be a huge storyline. Everyone always wants to see it happen, um, especially here at the U.S. Open. Uh, so I, I, I definitely think that that's probably one of the biggest, and hopefully it happens. I mean, you have, uh, you know, same thing here. We we do have some, some great players. I mean, good for Monfi for getting back to a place where he's playing really great tennis. You have Diego Schwartzman in there and um, – Surprisingly, Grigor Dimitrov had his opponent for today as well. So you have a lot of good names in there, but I think obviously uh, you're underlining Federer Nadal in that draw so far. They played at the French Open. They played at Wimbledon. It would be nice if they played uh, at the third straight major. Um, you know, they've they played at all the other three majors at least four times, and they've never met here. They've come close. One time we were uh, a Novak Djokovic you know, forehand return away from seeing those two guys uh, in the final. But, you know, at, at almost, you know, Nadal is 33, Rogers 38. And the fact that these two are the two favorites to make the final at this stage of the game is just remarkable. I mean, the, the flip side of that, of course, is where's the challenge coming from? And we've talked about Sasha Zverev. He's really struggling with his, confidence, his game, his serve, he was sent packing by Diego Schwartzman. We were talking at Tsitsipas, and ever since losing to Stan Wawrinka at the French Open, he hasn't been the same player. Felix Auger-Aliassime had a terrific first half of the year, and he's struggled, lost in the first round. Um, I think we're all trying to balance excitement for Federer Nadal, marveling at how they've sustained their careers, how still at this stage in the game 
these are the two guys who, you know, pr- presumably one of them is going to take the title. The big three era keeps rolling on, but there is this little bit of an underbelly of we, we keep waiting for someone to step up and say, not anymore, it's my time now. Maybe it's Daniil Medvedev, though he's, he's played a lot of tennis. Maybe he's, it's Stan who's played this role before. I mean, he's going for his fourth major. Right. Maybe it's an off-the-board candidate. Bar- Baratini's a big kid who hits a big ball. Or, you know, D- Dimitrov, as you say, um, he's never beaten Roger Federer. They, they played a night. I do think um, you know, Dimitrov on talent alone certainly has the ability. But I do think one of the sort of sub-themes of this event is that this whole next-gen once again has, has underachieved in a major. For sure. And I think Novak Djokovic, his injury, I think that sort of puts a microscope even on on the fact that this group is really dominating. I mean, here is someone who, you know, has had an incredible year and he is part of this group. And now he, you know, falters with injury. And who's there, as you say, left in the draw behind him? None of these next gen players that, that we're discussing. I mean, as you say, we have some, you know, some good, some good people. Dimitrov, Schwartzman's playing great, but where, where is, you know, Zarev's not here. You have a lot of people who aren't here, and uh, the the theme continues. And it looks like, uh, you know, this whole year will be dominated by that storyline for sure. Right. It's been three years since a player outside the big three won a major, and that was. Stan Wawrinka. So um, no one under the age of 30 on the men's side has, has won a major. It's it's a real balancing act between let's not sell these three Titans short. They're incredible. They would be incredible in any era. But the flip side of that is uh, would be nice if one of the, the young guys stepped up. What, what was? Let me ask you this. What was your favorite story um, regarding a player who's no longer in the draw? So week, week one usually furnishes – you know, it, it's an age story. It's a youth story. It's the story of the player who bought a plane ticket home and then got a lucky loser spot. And, that, you know, they're always sort of these, these human interest, interest stories in week one. What was your favorite one, Jamie? Um, I mean, this is an obvious one, but Taylor Townsend really, uh, you know, hit home for me a little bit. I think that she was definitely that person being tagged as the next thing or she was just you know she was a part of the news cycle especially when I first started uh covering tennis and then everything happened with her health reasons and all these things that happened about her weight and I remember watching her in qualifiers or just in first round matches and she was losing and you know I think at one point she even said she really couldn't even string together or win four matches in a year, and now here she is, you know, winning three matches in a row at one major. Um, and so for me to see her um, playing with so much confidence and uh, really excelling here at the U.S. Open, um, you know, it's not exactly a human interest story, but um, good for Taylor Townsend. Um, I totally agree with that. And remember, and I feel like we haven't made a big enough deal about this, she had to qualify. Right. Which- says a few things first of all she didn't win you know just it wasn't only three main draw matches she won she had to win three matches just to get into the big show also the fact that she didn't get a wild card and had to go through the qualifying rounds tells you something about what the usta thinks of her what her prospects in the eyes of many were how far she's dropped off since as you say i mean she was coco golf before coco golf i mean she was as decorated a junior player with as much hype as I can recall, in a long time. And 
she struggled a bit. She was very outspoken about that. I would encourage everyone to read her various press conferences, which have just been absolute gems and so yes. endearing. But, you know, two, two weeks ago, she was a player who wasn't really on the tennis radar, certainly wasn't on the USTA's radar. Everyone has kind of tiptoed around it, but I think the fact that she's had this breakthrough at the U.S. Open, at this USTA event, given what you say, given uh, four or five years ago what she went through um, with the USTA, I think is an extra element to the story. We love the serve and volleying. We love the, the conviction, the commitment she has to her game. She took a set off Andrescu, which is, is certainly uh, nothing, to, um, nothing to be ashamed of. And I'm really eager to see where the story goes next, because both from a, a tennis perspective, but also just a likable personality perspective, um, Taylor Townsend is really a winner this tournament. I'm, I'm, glad, you, uh, I'm glad you picked that. Did you, um, did you have thoughts on Coco? I mean, that was, that was a, 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 a bit of a, um, you know, she, she lost in singles. 6-3, 6-0, and then she won one game in her last doubles match. The flip side is she showed once again that she belongs at this level. She showed once again that there's this absolutely ascending future ahead of her. Um, thoughts? What, what, what do you think watching her play, Jamie? She has really encapsulated the the phenom role this year. You know, I, it's incredible she's 15, and I think the support that she's gained and the momentum she's gained so quickly from, you know, people inside the sport, outside the sport, um, other athletes. I mean, you know, obviously Naomi's uh, sentiment after the match was very telling of that. I think it's all very incredible. Um, I, I hope, I really do hope that she has – a good enough team around her to make sure that all of that um, doesn't get to her in a bad way. I hope it only, you know, pushes her forward. Um, obviously, she's still young. That that match against Naomi was fairly quick. Um, but I think, as 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 Osaka said, she has a good family. They have raised a a good tennis player and a good person, and hopefully that carries through in her career and you know as you say a bright future ahead of her so we're looking forward to seeing her continue I don't know if we'll see her you know she might play a few more tournaments but we might not see her again on a big big stage until I'll show you yeah and I think what what that is is sort of the the unfortunate side of these age eligibility rules um they're put in obviously to ease a player's transition and to cut down on some of these stresses and you know, you, you mentioned, I think in her case in particular, she, she's in good hands. I don't think there's a family that's going to traipse her all over the world and make a few bucks. I think her agent's going to manage her responsibly. But she falls under these rules, and she's really restricted in what and where she can play. And the question now sort of becomes, what, what's she going to do? I mean, does, does she play a few of these sort of $25,000 events where I'm not sure – she has much to gain there, and everyone will she'll be the celebrity of the tournament, but she won't get much out of it. Does she sit tight until Australia, which is a long time from now, especially when she needs match play? And on the one hand, she proved that she can play at this level, but you know, she's also coming off a defeat in which she won just three games. Um, I mean, I think what we're seeing is kind of how these, these rules can be problematic on, on balance i think they're a good thing i mean i think that uh, there's too much history in tennis to ignore of players that didn't make good decisions and of people around young players who didn't necessarily have their best interests um at first and foremost but the flip side of that is we may not see coco play much until 
Australia, and I'm not sure from a tennis perspective that's necessarily the best thing for her game right now. Anyone else stick out for you? Any uh, any good any good stories that maybe didn't make it out of the locker room or the media center that you want to enlighten us with? Oh man, <laughs> um, yeah, I got to figure out what I can what I'm at will to talk about and what I'm not. Um, I, I love the Christy on story for all the pushy tennis players we've seen here are player here are parents who uh, are, are trying to get her to quit. Ben, ben Rothenberg uh, wrote about her parents who say, listen, you've got a Stanford degree enough with this crazy tennis. Can't you get a real job? Uh, that stands in stark contrast to what we tend to think of when we talk about tennis parents. Um, I, I think the Naomi Osaka is, an interesting story to follow. Um, I think there's a lot going on there, and there's been a lot of change in her life since she won Australia. I think she's generally coming to terms with it, but, you know, this is a player who won. I mean, think about this, Jamie. She won Indian Wells in 2018. Big tournament, big breakthrough, you know, seven-figure payday. Then she wins the U.S. Open, which is career-changing. She has that bizarre final, and you you sort of say, boy, I wonder how she's going to react from that. This is uh, sort of the, the strangest occasion, the strangest circumstances under which you could ever win a major. She goes to the next major. She backs it up and wins the Australian Open. And you're thinking, we've got our new star. This post-Serena era, she's already staked out her turf. And since then, she hasn't won a single tournament. She's talked very openly about her lack of, of, of happiness, her lack of satisfaction. Um, she, I thought, really distinguished herself with Coco Gauff, but... She didn't win her next match. She's no longer number one. And I think there's a, there's a lot going on in that camp. I mean, she's, she's still young. She's 21 years old. She'll figure it out. Players all go through this. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there's some Osaka, if she's not done making changes on the year. But leave it at that. Um, I, you know, it was, it was a day one story, and then we moved on. But seeing Maria Sharapova lose to Serena Williams is nothing new. Seeing her lose like that. Under those circumstances, I, I wonder how much more Maria Sharapova we get to see. And, I, you know, I, I made this point on, on the air today. I just think sort of big picture, the sport's really cool and healthy. And you've got players from all over the world competing. You have teenagers. You have Bianca Andreescu, who played the last match on Arthur Ashe in the night session on Monday. But the Tuesday Arthur Ashe session is going to be taken with two players, Serena and Roger, who are 75 years combined in age. You've got five foot six inch Diego Schwartzman, but you also have Barrettini, who looks like a linebacker. And, you know, <laughs> Schwartzman beat a player a foot taller than he is. You've got Servan Volley, Taylor Townsend. You've got Medvedev, who hugs the baseline. I mean, it's just, I, I think sometimes we get a little caught up in, in the politics and some of the divisions and big picture. I think this has been a... Um, a really healthy tournament for the sport. And that'll do it for this week. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will have another podcast.